The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast paced. It's like a good two minute drill. We are just boom, 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 right down the field. Opinionated. If they take the David Price savings and the Mookie Betts savings and pocket the money, it will have been a lie and the fan base will be furious. To the point. Cam is not that guy. He's not the kind of athlete that works in today's NFL for the most part. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome in, everybody. Brady Farkas Show here on a Friday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Hope all of you had a great Thanksgiving. Hope all of you are off and able to continue to digest the food and sit back with the belt buckle out and uh, enjoy your Friday night. So appreciate all of you for checking in with me here on this Friday. Reminder, you can get in to the show by contacting me on social media, on Twitter specifically, at WDEV Radio Brady. That's at WDEV Radio Brady. You can also uh, subscribe to the full show podcast. If you ever miss any of the show or any of our exclusive interviews, you can find it by subscribing to the Brady Farkas Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at WDEVradio.com. The show is sponsored by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, is going to stop by in about 15 minutes, as he does every Friday, help us get ready for Patriots and Cardinals. And I want to start on this note, something very interesting that Cam Newton was asked, and in a very interesting answer that Cam had to this question. This game will be the third consecutive game in which the Patriots are pitted against an extremely athletic quarterback. First it was Lamar Jackson, then it was Deshaun Watson, now it's Kyler Murray. Earlier in the year, Russell Wilson, also Josh Allen. Patriots have seen a lot of athletic quarterbacks. Cam has been labeled an athletic quarterback for his entire career because of how much he runs and how well he's been able to run. He was asked this week by the media, do you need to be athletic now to play quarterback in the NFL? Is it a prerequisite for the position? I don't want to say that. Um, you know, it's, it's different ways to skin a cat. You know, that's the old cliche saying. Uh, you just got to understand the system. It just depends on what system you're in. A lot of quarterbacks may not be athletic like those guys that you mentioned, but they're still effective. And as long as you have a great understanding of, of, of what your offense is trying to do, that's what it pretty much comes down to. Look, I've thought about this a lot. Cam is wrong. I love Cam, but Cam's wrong here. You do need to be athletic to play quarterback in the NFL now. When you are a new quarterback coming in, they all better be athletic. But I do understand. I do understand why Cam has said this. Because he looks around and he sees his peers or people that he has played against for years. And he sees Drew Brees. And he saw Andrew Luck. And he saw Tom Brady and Matt Ryan. He sees these guys, Phillip Rivers, not be hyper-athletic, but have longevity, be successful, pro bowls, all pros, and in some cases, Super Bowls. He has seen the, quote, non-athletic or, quote, statue quarterback. He's seen those guys be successful. Those guys are those those guys are dying off now. They are figuratively dying off. You can't be like that when you come into the league anymore. You do have to be athletic. Okay, The modern-day quarterback must have superior athletic ability. You got to have mobility. You got to be able to get outside the pocket. You got to be able to to run yourself or at least extend plays and get outside the pocket and keep things happening. 
as speed becomes a bigger part of the game, you see faster defensive linemen. They can get to the quarterback quicker. Faster linebackers who can get to the quarterback quicker. You need a quarterback with real mobility to to escape the rush and to allow plays to materialize down the field. And as the pass game becomes more and more prevalent in the NFL, quarterbacks are throwing more. Therefore, more opportunities to get hit. I don't want my quarterback getting hit, standing in there getting hit 15, 18 times. I want my quarterback escaping the rush, sliding to his left, sliding to his right. Avoid the sack, run for four yards, get out of bounds. Avoid the sack, run for four yards, throw it away. Avoid the sack, allow the defense or you know the scramble drill to take place, and then all of a sudden we've got a 47-yard pass down the field. I need that. I can't have my quarterback. If we're going to throw it 37 times a game, 42 times a game, I can't have my quarterback who's making $100-plus million dollars or I spent a first-round draft pick on, I can't have those guys getting hit 15, 18, 22 times a game, getting sacked six times a game. I can't have that. Okay, Peyton Manning was great. Tom Brady's great. You can't get away with that when you come into the league anymore. I mean, I want all the tools in the toolbox. And maybe I'm selfish like that, and maybe I'm greedy, but I do. I want all the tools in the toolbox. I want my running back to be a threat on third and three. I want to make the defense have to account for just one more thing on third and three, on fourth and two. I want them to know that my quarterback has the ability to get outside the pocket and do things. It adds another element of creativity, and we have to be able to do that. And also, remember, wide receivers get injured. Okay, Julio Jones has been injured a lot. Kenny, Do- Kenny Galladay didn't play yesterday for Detroit. Cooper Cup has torn an ACL. Elite wide receivers get hurt. Okay, elite wide receivers, they can get open and they, they can catch anything, right? They can go win 50-50 balls. When they get hurt, though, they're going to need that little bit of extra help, that little split second to get open. That's where the mobile quarterback comes in. I buy time, I buy time, and now all of a sudden, my not necessarily 1A receiver has an opportunity to get open and to make a play. I get why Cam said that. He's been saying the, quote, right thing all year, and he has seen – Philip Rivers, Drew Brees, those guys be successful. That's not the case anymore. You you can't only be athletic, right? But you need to have the whole package. Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray. This is the future. Josh Allen. Like you gotta you gotta be able to do both. And when you look at and by the way, oh, offensive line play, let's let's not forget that. Offensive line play is as bad as it's ever been. I'm trying to not get my quarterback killed. But offensive line play is as bad as it's ever been. I'm going to need that mobile quarterback to get out just to keep himself safe. Offensive lines don't practice like they used to. They don't get as much contact as they used to. We can't hit as much in practice. Offensive line play is the thing that has regressed most in the NFL, in my opinion, over the last couple of years. So my offensive line isn't as good. Passing is a bigger part of the game, so therefore my bad offensive line is getting more and more action on it. My quarterback better be able to move outside the pocket. The guys who I mentioned, the old guard of quarterbacks, okay, they have more than a decade in the league. Cam talks about you need to be able to understand your system. Well, those guys, okay, the Matt Ryans, the Drew Breeses, the Tom Brady's, the Phillip Rivers, they've got more than a decade in the league and largely more than a decade in the same place, right? Brady in New England for 20 years. Brees, we're talking like 15 years now in New Orleans for him. Rivers was like 14 years or so. It feels like 14, 15 years got drafted in 05. Yeah, like 14, 15 years with the Chargers. These guys have had 
longevity to learn everything about their organization. They can get away with it. But when you come into the league now, you don't have that. You're not grandfathered in. So you better be able to make some things happen. As you get older and you get less mobile, like an Aaron Rodgers, when you've had that amount of time in a system, that amount of time in an organization, then you could probably get away with being a little less mobile. But when you come into the league, Daniel Jones, like Josh Allen, you better have that to go to because it's going to take you a long time before you earn the Eli Manning level of of offensive understanding, before you earn the Tom Brady level of offensive understanding. Like when I look at Kirk Cousins, like Kirk Cousins isn't really mobile. He hasn't been in the league for a decade. Like he's kind of in that middle ground. I look and say that that offense is limited. Kirk Cousins is limited. Baker Mayfield is limited. If they're not mobile and they don't have that decade's worth of experience to draw on, then they are a limited offense. And that's the facts. The Browns are limited by Baker Mayfield. I'm not saying he's awful. I don't think he's the worst in the league, but they're limited. Kirk Cousins is a limited quarterback. No mobility. Doesn't have the decade-long NFL career. That's just the way that it is. When I look at Russell Wilson, when I look at Kyler Murray, when I look at Josh Allen, those guys, their offenses at times might be limited, but it's not because of them. They have the whole playbook. Now, Josh Allen has some warts because of his completion and accuracy, you know, or completion percentage and accuracy, but the offense is completely open. He can throw the ball down the field. He can run. He's a threat to run. They can run the football without him. Like, the offense is fully functional. It's not fully functional when your quarterback is immobile. So, Cam, I appreciate what you're saying because you've seen it, but that's not the reality anymore. And, I mean, so the, when you have a limited quarterback – the mobility helps upsell him. It helps lift the offense. Like Daniel Jones, some people would say, I don't, but some people say Daniel Jones is limited. Well, he's got the mobility, which makes him a threat and makes him a little bit better. When I question Josh Allen, people can always point to, well, well, he's mobile enough that he can make some splash plays happen there, some improv-type plays, and that's the way that it is. The mobility is a requirement now to play quarterback in the NFL. We will talk about it with Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus when he stops by in about seven, eight minutes. But let's get to it. It's week 12 in the NFL, and that means it's time to go through our six-pack of NFL questions, getting you ready for the week ahead. Let's get the music. There we go. The six-pack of questions here as we talk NFL moving in to week number 12. Game I'm most looking forward to, Chiefs at Bucks. 9-1 and one, Kansas City, 7-4 and four, Tampa. This will be the only game since the 1970 merger featuring former first-team All-Pros at each offensive skill position. Think about that. Assuming everybody plays, you'd have Brady and Mahomes, Le'Veon Bell, LaShawn McCoy, Tyreek Hill, Antonio Brown, Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski. I mean, you're talking elite levels of talent that are out here in this matchup. That's what we're looking for. That's why I'm looking forward to it. Fourth meeting between Mahomes and Brady, including the playoffs. Mahomes won the most recent meeting. Brady won the first two. All three games decided by seven points or less. So I'm looking forward to a close game in this one. I'm also looking forward to seeing how do Tom Brady and Bruce Arians coexist here moving forward because of all the grief that uh, that Brady has been getting from, uh, from Arians. We've got some interesting music here running behind us. Oh, there we go. Now I see what it is. I'm like, guys, what's going on here? There we go. So 
It's going to be a close game. It's always been a close game between these two. Mahomes, Brady, playoff pedigrees between the two Super Bowl champions. Brady's on the ropes a little bit, getting questioned by his head coach. That's what I want to see, how he responds, how Tampa responds, and if Mahomes can take his team on the road and get a win over a historically great quarterback. Moving on, question number two, the 90-day fiancé game. This is the game that I don't care about at all. This is the game that I'd rather watch TLC, 90-day fiancé then. I'd rather see what's up with Lauren and Alexi. I'd rather see what's going on with uh, Angela and Michael. I'd like to find out what's going on between Devin and Jihoon. All of that matters more to me than this game. That game is Giants-Bengals. It's 3-7 and seven versus 2-7-1. and one. I don't get good records. The Bengals are wholly uninteresting without Joe Burrow. I'm really only interested to see if Daniel Jones doesn't turn the football over. That's it. That is the sole reason I would even consider watching this game. Giants are looking for their first three-game win streak since 2016. Daniel Jones, back-to-back games without committing a turnover. He committed a turnover in 20 of his first 21 starts. Mildly interested in how Joe Judge comes back from the whole firing of his offensive line coach, the rumors that came out. Does the team continue to play hard for him, or is there a little bit of disbanding there? With a win, the Giants can get to four wins, and they can pull into a tie in first place in that NFC East with Washington. So there's something on the line here, but just tell me who won after the fact. I have no interest in watching. Question number three, the player I'm most looking forward to watching. Well, we'll see if that guy plays because that guy is Tua Tagovailoa. Tua, on the injury report, been a little limited in practice. Not sure if he's going to go against the Jets. I have no interest in watching the Jets who are 0-10. But Tua, the rookie quarterback, how does he respond from the adversity of being benched last week in favor of Ryan Fitzpatrick? The Dolphins need this win, by the way. The Jets are 0-10. Dolphins 6-4. If Miami wins, their playoff odds go up to 40%. Tua has been has had some good and some bad in his game so far. I want to see what happens in a game that Miami should win. Tua hasn't thrown a pick yet, but situationally, he has struggled at times. They're 22nd on third down percentage since Tua took over as a starter, so he hasn't been perfect. He needs He's coming back from adversity. His team needs a win. Is he able to deliver it? I want to see what Tua does. Everybody has always talked about how sharp he is, how tough he is, and how driven he is. What kind of Tua do we get on Sunday, assuming he's able to play? And now dealing with an injury, you're going to see a lot about Tua this Sunday. Moving over to the Patriots. Patriots getting ready for the Cardinals. We've got it for you 10 a.m., right? 10 a.m. with the pregame show, 1 p.m. with the kickoff. The Patriots win this game if. I'm going to fill in the blank. Patriots win this game if. They can get out to a quick start. Take advantage of the West Coast team going east. Everybody tells me, Doug Flutie told me this week, that's a real thing. The the jet lag, the sleepiness, the sluggishness of the start, that is a real thing. That's a real concern. Pats need to take advantage of it early. You can't let the Cardinals get warmed up. Kyler Murray's coming in with a bum shoulder. Might take him some time to get going. If they can get up 10-0, if they can get up 14-3, then you see a situation where, the Pats are in control. Arizona's number one in the league in rushing. If they get up 14-3, you're not getting the ball back. They're going to be up tempo. They're going to they're going to run the football. Kyler's going to have you know going to be able to do special things. You can't have that if you're New England. If you get up 10 nothing, if you get up 14-3, then you grind it out on them. Damian Harris is there. Sony Michelle is back. We'll see what happens with him. Cam can grade on you. James White's there, and. 
Arizona's missing a ton in their front seven. A lot of injuries, season enders to key, key guys like Corey Peters and Chandler Jones. If the Pats can run the flip, if they can get the lead and then establish the run, they're going to shrink that game, take down the number of possessions, and they're going to be able to go and get a win. they got to get ahead early, though, because if they let Arizona hang around, eventually they'll get warmed up and they'll get going. The Pats may have no answer. If New England, though, can get up early, that's how they win this game. Patriots will lose this game, conversely, if they can't contain Kyler Murray. He's run for 60 yards or more in every win the Cardinals have this year except one. Now, he's run wild in a few losses, too, but if they win games, they win it with him running the football well. Larry Fitzgerald's not playing. A security blanket is gone. hope he's better, by the way, tested positive for COVID-19. I'm curious how Murray's shoulder impacts his, his desire to run. Does he want to get hit? Is he going to protect himself a bit? If he goes off with his legs then we're talking about a situation here where Arizona is going to have a real advantage in this game. Overall prediction number six, Patriots 20, Cardinals 19. I, I can't quit the drug of hope. I just can't quit the drug of hope because the Pats, I know they're not as talented, but when you look at the West Coast team coming east, when I look at Bill Belichick and what he does to young quarterbacks, he never loses to young quarterbacks. I got to think, if he could confuse Patrick Mahomes earlier this year, He's got to be able to confuse this young offense in Arizona, this young quarterback in Arizona. So I'm going Patriots 20, Cardinals 19. Am I crazy? Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus. He's going to tell me when he joins us next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Coming on the day after Thanksgiving because we got a lot of football to talk about. Patriots getting ready for the Cardinals to talk about all of that and more we bring on as we do every single Friday. Eric Eager over Pro Football Focus. Eric, how are you? How was the holiday? It was good, man. I wish there was probably there were some better games. I mean, uh, there's there's nothing worse than uh, what New Mexico against Utah State as the only night game, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, other than that, it was fine. You know, uh, it's fun to see uh, Alex Smith have some success, and it's fun to yeah. see Ron Rivera have some success. Well, another guy who had success was Deshaun Watson, and he carved up the Patriots last week. So before we move to Patriots Cardinals, let's just put the closing book on Patriots Texans. What was your overall takeaway from that game? Really what I thought was really a bad loss by the Pats. It wasn't a great loss by the Pats for sure. I mean, they were they were favored in that game, and I didn't. You know, I said on our pregame show sat, uh, Sunday that it's really hard to you know have a quarterback that much better as the underdog um, in a game like that at home, and you know that's sort of what materialized. I think the Patriots have been uh, spunky on offense in the last yeah. like three four weeks, and that has kept them sort of in these games, kept them relevant, probably keep them relevant this weekend against Arizona. Um, but ultimately, the defense has just lost, I, I think, too much, uh, you know, to sort of be uh, as competitive as they want to be um, during the course of this season. Yeah, it's fun to bang on the offense, and it's fun to nitpick Cam and talk about play calling, et cetera. The defensive regression, is that something that the analytics community can can predict, or is this something that's surprising even to you? Well, I – you know, yes and no, like, you know, it's hard. It's like, um, I, I said this about Tampa Bay a couple weeks ago. I'll say it about New Orleans. Now, anytime a defense is playing, a you know, the best football among any team in the NFL, you can almost always uh, be assured that a month from now, 
they'll play weaker defense. And, you know, when you looked at the Patriots a season ago, they actually kept it up for, you know, eight to ten weeks. But then you saw a turnover regression. You saw regression in coverage. You saw their offense not play as well and hence put the defense in poor spots. And so, you know, all of those things are are foreseeable. I don't think they're a terrible defense. Like, I think that they showed against Kansas City that they can match up against teams that are pretty good and, and be a speed bump. Um, but, you know, it's so hard to repeat week after week elite uh, championship caliber defense. It's so hard to do that. And so for that reason, like, it's not surprising to see the Patriots struggle this year. Um, and, and, you know, to be quite honest, the fact that their offense has played well over the past three, four weeks is probably keeping them competitive. If they continue to struggle defensively and got games like they did against Denver or against San Francisco from Cam, this might be a disaster. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I want to get to Cam here. We were talking about this to start the show. Cam talked this week about the idea of whether or not quarterbacks need to be at, quote, athletic. Do you think now quarterbacks that come into the league need to be more mobile, need to be more athletic? Is that a prerequisite now for the position? I think so. I think it's really hard to be a good quarterback when you can't move very well. Um, you know, you even see it with, like, Joe Flacco, you know, the last couple of games, the uh, Jets have covered the spread. They've looked okay. They look like an NFL team. And that's because, you know, they have their three wide receivers healthy. And, you know, Flacco can hit his back foot and somebody's going to be open. That's not always going to be the case. Oftentimes you hit your back foot and players aren't open and you need to improvise. And, and I think there's no better example of that than on Sunday night against the Raiders with, with Mahomes. Mm -hmm. Like they had Sammy Watkins down. They had McCole Hardman was limited because he had just come off the COVID list. So you're working with receivers, what, three, one, four, and five, and then a tight end in Kelsey. Like those guys aren't always going to be open. That's why they're the th you know fourth and fifth wide receivers for a team like Kansas City. And yet, like Mahomes hits his back foot, sometimes it's open, sometimes it's not. And when it's not, you want to be able to move around and be able to find players by yourself time. And, you know, it's just another way that you can mitigate risk. Now, the interesting thing with Cam, you know, Cam kind of – and there was a quarterback we I just talked about the other day, which was uh, Alex Smith. Yeah. Like Alex Smith was a terrific runner, but like he never threw well on the run. He was a great black and white player. Um, he could pick up a first down when he decided to run and he could, you know, obviously in the pocket, he was a decent thrower, but on the move, he was kind of a nightmare. And so I, I, I have to look at the statistics But my impression of Cam so far this, this year and over the past few years is when he hits his back foot and decides to make a throw, it's pretty good. Yeah. And when he decides to run, it's pretty effective. But in the intermediate time, there have been kind of some duds with him throwing on the run, which I think you know sort of mitigates the effectiveness of him being as athletic as he is. No, you're right, and I don't have the number in front of me, but the, the stats do bear that out. He has never thrown well in his career on the run. I want to ask you about quarterback valuation when it comes to money because we're all trying to figure out what's going to happen with Cam in the future. I think yeah. we all get the Patriots need to draft a quarterback, but in the interim, they need that maybe they do something else next year. How much money do you think Cam is worth on the open market? And is that better for them money wise than trading for a Matthew Stafford's contract or a Carson Wentz's contract or somebody like that? It's it's a really good question. I you know, I every time some we talk about this, I always look at um over the cap, our friends there, and you know, the 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 kind of middling contract for a veteran QB is Bridgewater at 21, Alex Smith at 23 and a half, Philip Rivers at 25, Tom Brady at 25, mm. Drew Brees at 25. 
after that, you have an, a $10.5 million drop down to Taysom Hill, who's kind of a whatever, right? Yeah. And then after that, it's Burrow, who's a number one overall pick. He makes nine a year. Mariota makes eight, eight. And then Murray at eight, seven is a number, another number one. Like there's no middle class contract for a quarterback. Like the Patriots, you either have to take like a bargain basement guy like Cam, you know, I don't know if that was, you know, truly uh, an efficient market there, or you have to pay up for a guy at the tune of 25 million or more. There's really no uh, sort of middle ground. And the problem is, is returns are sort of diminishing there, right? Like, how much better are they with Stafford? I don't think they're that much better. We've seen the Detroit Lions when they've had Kenny Galladay on the field. They've been a great offense. When they've had him off the field, as, as it happened yesterday, they've been kind of a middle-of-the-pack offense. So when, so do you really want that if you're a New England Patriots fan? I don't think so, right? Because they're, they're not going to be able to ensure that the receivers are that good, right? And so what you really want if you're a Pats fan is probably – the next Mahomes. Well, you can't get the next Mahomes right. unless you draft the guy, you know, you draft the guy high and, and you hold on for dear life and hopefully he, you know, he emerges um, because that's really, I think the, the has to be the plan. If they can convince Cam to come back for 10 to 15 million a year, I think, and then draft a guy, I think that's the perfect solution for now. It, it's really tough for them. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Interesting matchup upcoming with the Cardinals, the, the, the West Coast team coming east for the 1 o'clock start. Kyler Murray a little dinged up with the shoulder. What do you think is the ultimate biggest key in this game? Yeah, I've already on, on our show, we like Patriots plus two and a half. So I'm mm -hmm. I'm on the side that thinks the Patriots will, will be the team that comes out victorious in this one. Um when I look at this game, Arizona's defense is overrated. Um, you know, and and I think Kyler Murray's a little bit more banged up than we believe. We also have Larry Fitzgerald on the COVID list, which yep. again will make the issues the the Patriots have had in the secondary, namely missing Patrick Chung, which I think Patrick Chung would have been the guy to guard Fitzgerald in this game. Uh, it'll make it less uh, effective for Arizona. So I, you know, when I look at this game, I think it's going to be a game where New England kind of controls it. Uh, Arizona tries to, you know, put, kind of play close to the vest and get out with a win. And I don't think that they're good enough to do that against a team coached by Bill Belichick. Let me get you out of here on this. We're going to see an elite wide receiver in DeAndre Hopkins, maybe the best in football. For the Patriots, we're going to see a bunch of uh, a bunch of just guys. Do you need that big home run threat, DeAndre Hopkins, or can you win like the Patriots do with a collection of Solid but unspectacular players. You can win with unspectacular receivers. I mean, Cam took a team to the Super Bowl, Ted Ginn as the number one option there. But I think the benefits to having a, a true elite player, as, as Patriots fans know, with Moss, you know, that took that offense to such another level, you know, 13 years ago now, it seems like forever ago. Um, you know, having having that true difference maker on the outside is is immense. Um, so I, my answer is, of course, you can win with with a bunch of uh, just the guys at wide receiver, but the benefits to having a truly elite guy are immense. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, with us every single week. Eric, we appreciate it, man. Have a great continued holiday weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Eric Eager. There he goes. We're working on our takeaways already. Staff is at hard at work cutting everything up. What we'll do, we'll break down the Eric Eager interview and a thought on a former Patriot that's in the news. That's next on WDEV. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app.
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Field Yates, ESPN NFL Insider. Appreciate him giving us one of those intros. And I uh, used to work for the Patriots, so certainly uh, should be familiar to a lot of people who listen to ESPN at night on this station. Also, people who just follow football and people who follow the Patriots. Uh, we'll get to our Eric Eager takeaways in a couple of minutes, as we always do. We do our big interview at 545, and then that uh, those takeaways come at about 610 or so. Um, I want to start with this, though, with former Patriots assistant coach Matt Patricia who's on the hot seat in Detroit Lions lose again yesterday to the uh to the Houston Texans on Thanksgiving Lions are now four and 16 in their last 20 Thanksgiving games a lot of people are calling for Matt Patricia to be fired a lot of people are speculating that he will be fired and all I'm here to tell you I'm not really here to defend Matt Patricia I don't watch enough Lions games to fully defend Matt Patricia what I am here to tell you though is if you're going to call for Matt Patricia to be to be fired, you can't just look at the record. It seems counterintuitive, but a coach's record is not always indicative of the full story. Okay, It's not always indicative of the full story. If you want Matt Patricia to be fired, or if you think a firing is justifiable, you have to listen to what Matt Stafford said yesterday. His quarterback had an opportunity to go to bat for him and simply said this post game. It's not my decision. You know, that's for somebody else. You want to ask me about the game, you can ask me about the game. That's the most damning thing of all. His record, 13-29-1, that's bad. I understand that. But that quote right there is the most damning thing that you need to know. His quarterback had a chance. The biggest voice on the team, the longest tenured veteran on the team, the highest paid player on the team, he had an opportunity to stand by his head coach and say, hey, I don't know what's going to happen, but I want him here. Or, hey, I'm not sure where it's going to go, but I know that I've loved my time with Matt Patricia. He did not say that. So when you talk about firing Matt Patricia, don't simply look at the record. You have to look at what people are saying. TJ Hawkinson, who's a a Lions tight end, said essentially the same thing. Now, he was a little more wordy about it, so if you get lost in the words, it doesn't seem as obvious, but he basically said the same thing. It's not up to me. And he also didn't stand by his head coach. When you talk about losing the locker room, when you talk about guys not buying in, when you talk about guys not not showing up to work for a guy anymore and a team that's quitting, those are quotes that you listen to. It is not just the record. The record, 13-29-1, is bad, but... It's even worse when you hear the starting quarterback who has a chance to potentially save your job or at least go to bat for you, and when that guy doesn't, that's when you know it's over. It's not as much about the record. Quotes like that, when the starting quarterback doesn't defend you, that's when it's over. So, Brady, why do you not think the record matters as much? Because you have to understand that there are qualifications sometime you have to put on a head coach's record. People look at the record and they say, okay, he's 13-29-1. Matthew Stafford did miss eight games last year. He missed eight games last year. The quarterback matters. And I'm not saying they would have gone 8-0 with Matthew Stafford. But if they go 4-4, four and four, well, now the record looks better. They go 5-3, and three, the record looks better. Okay, not having the quarterback can really, really inflate a coach's loss, to- loss total. We would all say that Kyle Shanahan of the 49ers is a very good head coach, a bright offensive mind. He's 5 and 21 without Jimmy Garoppolo. Kyle Shanahan is 5 and 21 in his head coaching career without Jimmy Garoppolo. And Kyle Shanahan's an offensive genius and that team is 5 and 21 without its starting quarterback. So let's just at least understand 
that starting quarterback play does matter. Russell Wilson saved Pete Carroll. I mean, Pete Carroll was 14 and 18 in two years in Seattle, and then he gets Russell Wilson. Like, not having a quarterback, I mean, they're playing last year in Detroit with somebody named like David Baum or something. Like, that's who's playing. Jeff Driscoll starting games for the Detroit Lions. You're not winning those games. So, like, those eight games get tossed out to me as far as I'm concerned. Even if you tossed him out, he's 13-21-1. It's still not great. But look beyond the record. The record isn't what matters as much in this case as the players not defending him. Because it certainly looks like the players are checked out on the field. And people who do watch the Lions more than I do, they'll tell you, hey, the Lions just look like they've quit. They've laid down. But after the game, when key play and Hawkinson's a former first-round pick, and so he's got some clout in that team. And Stafford, he has the, uh, the ultimate clout in that team. And outside of Barry Sanders, he might have the most clout in that franchise's history, at least for the last 30 years. When those guys aren't defending you, that's when you know it's over. That's when you know you've lost everybody. But it's not as much about the record, okay? Quarterback play does matter. We're going to look at Zach Taylor in Cincinnati and say that he can't coach. But they're going to play their last six games here without Joe Burrow. And last year they played a bunch of games without Andy Dalton. And we're going to look and say that his record's terrible and that he stinks. But, again, not having your quarterback is ultimately what matters there. So, um, you know, let's at least understand that the record isn't the biggest thing here. What all? What else is interesting, though, about the Patricia, Patricia situation in Detroit is that he's on his way to becoming another failed Patriots assistant turned head coach. And... Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to translate assistant coaching success in Foxborough to head coaching success elsewhere? Rob Ninkovich, former Patriots linebacker, had this to say on ESPN this morning. When you go through the whole rebuilding process and you try to bring your pieces in to run a specific scheme, it's hard to find the exact fits for that. When you're in New England, it seems to be every single year they have a pecking order of leadership. So the guys at the top have been there a long time, they understand the scheme, they understand the system, and then your younger guys and your middle-tier guys kind of fall in line and they learn from those older guys. It's hard to build an NFL program up. Okay, College coaches need a full recruiting cycle to get, quote, their guys. But in the NFL, you don't get a full recruiting cycle. You don't get four years to get your guys in here. Patricia's going to get fired, and it will have been after three years. You don't get four years. Okay, Steve Wilkes got fired in Arizona, one year. Vic Fangio might get fired in Denver, two years. You don't get a college football-style time frame here to build your program. You just you have to get people quickly to buy in. You have to get the right guys in the draft. You have to get affordable guys. Like You can't just recruit whoever you want, so it's harder in the NFL. And then you have to get the player's attention. And when you don't win immediately – so New England has this hallmark of being a tough program, hard practices, law, you know, kind of grading on you, not fun. When you don't win immediately, guys tune you out very quickly in the NFL. We'll see what happens with, with Brian Flores in Miami and Joe Judge in New York. They're still kind of in the honeymoon phase, and now that Miami's playing better, they've kind of been able to get around some of that stuff. But if you don't win immediately – Players will tune you out. They're not buying into that New England system when they're not getting the results that New England does. If you don't have rings or playoff appearances to show players quickly, they're like, look, I'm not doing this if we're not getting that. It only works in New England because they're winning. That's the only reason why it works. 
And Doug Flutie's told me that, and other players have told me that. Like it's it's the rings that New England has make the program okay. That's the only reason the program is okay. You only buy in because you've you've got tangible results. And if you don't produce tangible results quickly for this for this new franchise, they're not buying in to what New England did. It's it's not the same, and it's hard to transplant that New England success over to another organization. So Matt Patricia, he is going to get fired. Look beyond the record. Listen to what the players are saying because that's the biggest piece of information. And understand that you can't just replicate. You can't just pick up New England and take it somewhere else. Bill O'Brien tried to do it in Houston. He had some success but ultimately fired. Romeo Cornell tried to do it before, fired. Charlie Weiss tried to bring it to college, fired. I mean, again, the judge is out on Flores and and Judge. They seem to be doing okay early on, but... Like this is what happens when you try to bring the New England system and you don't have the New England results, then the players very, very quickly tone you out. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. So we spoke with Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus uh, just a little while ago. We've got our two biggest takeaways from that interview. We asked him about Cam Newton. And the reason why I asked him is I wanted to know from him, hey, what is Cam worth on the open market? If the Patriots were to sign Cam next year, how much money would he be worth? Because I see a lot of stuff on Twitter. Hey, the Patriots should trade for Matthew Stafford. Hey, the Patriots should trade for Carson Wentz if the Eagles are ready to move off of him. And I look at it and I say, Stafford's worth a lot of money. Wentz has a lot of money on that contract. Is it worth it to just sign Cam again rather than deal with absorbing big contracts like that onto your team? Here's what Eric Eager had to tell me about Cam and the money situation and the Pats. If they can convince Cam to come back for ten to fifteen million a year, I think, and then draft a guy, I think that's the perfect solution for now. It's really tough for them. It is tough for them, and what he said was there was more there, and the full interview is available on the Brady Farkas podcast page. So, even mid-level quarterbacks, guys we consider to not be all that great. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, you're talking like twenty million dollars a year. Aging veterans, Philip Rivers, Tom Brady, twenty-four, twenty-five million dollars a year, like. These are what this is the going rate for even average quarterbacks. So I don't want to sign somebody for $25 million a year. I don't want to sign Cam for $25 million a year. But if I go trade for Carson Wentz and Matthew Stafford, who have huge contracts, so now I'm absorbing huge money and not necessarily getting that much of an upgrade over Cam, and I'm giving up assets to get him, it's just not worth it. Like, if you said, Brady, you're going to trade X, Y, and Z for Patrick Mahomes, then okay, I'll pay him the $40 million a year, and I'll give up the assets because I know it's a huge upgrade over everybody else. But getting Matthew Stafford or Carson Wentz for, you know, $30 million a year and giving up assets, that's not better than Cam. So even though I don't think Cam is great, I don't think Cam is the ultimate answer to lead the Patriots back to the Super Bowl next year, from a money standpoint, from a valuation standpoint, he might be the best option. They do need to draft somebody. And whether that means they trade up in the draft to get him early or they take somebody mid-level first round, they need to draft somebody. They need to find the quarterback of the future. But for the quarterback of the interim, for the quarterback of the immediate next year in 2021, if they can get Cam for 10 to $15 million, that's far better than taking on a bloated Matthew Stafford contract or a bloated Carson Wentz contract 
and having to give up a whole lot in draft capital to get those guys. You're not getting those guys cheaply, both in terms of financial commitment and in terms of cost from getting them from, from their current team. So, no, Cam is not the best fit. Cam is not the best player. But at the money and at the value of the quarterback position, he certainly seems more valuable to me at $12 million than somebody else coming in here at $30 million, $32 million. Like whatever these numbers are for these quarterbacks, Cam at 10 to $12 million is certainly better, I would think. I mean, I'm going to look at the contract here. Let's, let, let's pull up, guys. Let's pull up Matthew Stafford's contract right now. Five years, $135 million. That's Matthew Stafford's contract. And we're talking about, I mean, that's $27 million a year. I mean, if I can get Cam for half that, I think I'm getting a little more than half Stafford's production for sure, and I'm not giving up anything. That that sounds better to me when you think about valuation of the position. All right, let's get to takeaway number two. So we started off the show talking about do you need to be athletic to play quarterback, and Cam said no, he didn't think that you did, that you could be good in a lot of different ways. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, do you need to be athletic as a modern-day quarterback? I think so. I think it's really hard to be a good quarterback when you can't move very well. Um, you know, you even see it with, like, Joe Flacco. You know, the last couple of games, the uh, Jets have covered the spread. They've looked okay. They look like an NFL team. And that's because, you know, they have their three wide receivers healthy. And, you know, Flacco can hit his back foot and somebody's going to be open. That's not always going to be the case. Oftentimes, you hit your back foot and players aren't open and you need to improvise. So that kind of just echoes everything we said at the start. We also believe you need to be athletic when you come into the NFL now. If you come in as a college quarterback, you need to have athleticism as a a trait. Offensive line play is worse as you pass more, more chances to get hit by a pass rush. Linemen on the defensive side are quicker, are stronger. They're getting to you quicker, and you need to be able to get away from that. Brady, Luck, Rivers, Manning, they got away with it in their career, late in their career, especially not being athletic because they were such seasoned veterans. Matt Ryan's another one. But you don't have their level of knowledge about a system until you're 8, 10, 12 years in the league. You've got to be able to have that athleticism to cover up for a lot of holes around your team and a lot of strengths now of defenses. And this is kind of the problem with Cam. We talk about Cam, we don't quite know what he is yet still, It's because he doesn't really have a thing. And that's what's so frustrating is that I want to know so badly who Cam is. And I want to put a money value on him. But he doesn't really have a thing. And what I mean by that is he's not the super athlete that Lamar Jackson is. Right? There's some warts there. But Lamar Jackson is such a good athlete, you just roll with it. Cam's not that guy. He's not so athletic, you just deal with everything else. Well, he's not the smooth athlete like Wilson, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson. He doesn't have that fluidity to his game, that speed element to his game to get outside. Like those guys look graceful. They're like ballerinas. That's not Cam. Cam is a is a is a pickup truck. So he doesn't have the smoothness to his game as an athlete. He doesn't have the huge arm anymore. Josh Allen. Justin Herbert, they can get away with, they're athletic too, but they can get away with their athletic and they have huge arms. Cam doesn't have that. Cam couldn't even throw it 55 yards in a Hail Mary last week against Houston. We just don't quite know what he is. 
He doesn't have the elite offensive head coach that can scheme you into success like Jimmy Garoppolo or Jared Goff. Like, and he doesn't have that longevity in the same system or the same city. Brady, Rodgers, Rivers, Stafford, Matt Ryan. Like, he's not just comfortable with everything. So what is he? We still don't know, and we're trying to figure out. For $10 to $12 million, I would tell you Cam is the best bet for the Patriots, all things considered. But he doesn't really have a thing. He doesn't have a go-to. He's not the athlete of Lamar. He's not the smooth athlete of Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson. He doesn't have the power arm. So when we're trying to figure out what he is, he's just kind of, he's a quarterback without a great deal of arm strength, without a great deal of accuracy at times, without the speed of some of these younger quarterbacks, and without the elusiveness of some of these younger quarterbacks. He is a powerful athlete, but he is not, he just doesn't have one thing. He's kind of average to good at a lot of things, but doesn't have one thing that's his calling card. And that's why we can't figure out who he is moving forward into the offseason. That's why another reason why it's so hard for the Patriots to kind of know what their future looks like at the position. It's the Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com real quick. Hey, we got our Friday locks last week. I was two in one, sometimes gambling, sometimes fantasy, sometimes something else. Friday locks. It's good to be confident. It's not good to be cocky. The penthouse or the poorhouse. We'll find out this weekend. It's time for Brady's Friday locks on the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, number one, I like the Patriots to cover the plus two number against the Cardinals. So the Patriots are two-point underdogs at home against Arizona. Eric Eager, pro football focus, he thinks the Patriots are going to win. I think the Patriots are going to win 20-19. to Cam and the offense are playing better. Belichick has always done well against young quarterbacks. I do think there's a bad taste in the defense's mouth from the Houston game. Arizona, a young team, doesn't have its most veteran presence in Larry Fitzgerald. That's got to matter. Things are going to be tough for Arizona. Fitz isn't there to calm things down. I like the Patriots plus two. Number two, the the Cleveland-Jacksonville game, that game is going under 46 points. Over-under is 46. Definitely hammer the under there. This game has 21-13 written all over it. Baker Mayfield doesn't pass with big numbers. Cleveland is a hugely run-dominant team, so less possessions in a game, less scoring. Jacksonville's starting Jake Lutton at quarterback. They're missing their top wide receiver, DJ Chark. So 21-13 is how I see this game. I think Cleveland wins it, but another unspectacular performance where Cleveland plays good defense, gets after the quarterback, runs the football, less possessions, shrink the game, and Cleveland gets out of there with a win. 21-13 will be my final score prediction, under 46. And number three on the Patriots game, Sony Michelle less than 35 yards rushing. He's just not a big part of this offense right now. He's going to play. Damian Harris is the number one back. James White is the number one pass catching back. So I don't know how often Sony Michelle is on the field. It shouldn't be hard to ask Sony Michelle to get, you know, nine carries and and you know end up with 45 yards. It shouldn't be that hard. Bust one big one, please. We were a first round draft pick. It's not going to happen. Sony Michelle less than 35 yards. All right, it's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We'll react to those on Monday's show. When we come back, we'll get our daily dose of Doug here from Flutie, but also one quick take on the Boston Celtics. Are we going to look back 
at this three-year period in Celtics history and think it was a major letdown. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. This post-Thanksgiving edition. A lot of people taking off today. We didn't take off today. We wanted to be here for you to help get you ready for week 12 in the NFL. But I did want to divert from the NFL quickly before we get to Daily Dose of Doug because I was sitting on this and thinking about this for a couple of days. Bill Simmons knows the Boston Celtics maybe better than anybody. Him and Bob Ryan kind of have their – and Jackie McMullen. Like those three are the triad of – is that a word? They're like the top trio of people with knowledge on the Boston Celtics. And, And Simmons was talking the other day, and he was talking about how we're going to evaluate the last three years of Celtics basketball. You acquire Kyrie Irving, you sign Gordon Hayward, that's year one. Year two, you still have Kyrie, you get Hayward back. You do all of this while having Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Here is what Bill Simmons said. It was time for him to go. I don't blame him for leaving. I still think we're going to look back at this three years the Celtics had and just be like, wow. You think like they signed Horford, Hayward, pull off the the Kyrie trade in basically a 14-month span. Plus, they have these incredible Brown Tatum assets and Marcus Smart, and they're all in rookie contracts. Right. And you just think, like, it's kind of impossible they didn't make the finals. You know what? When you put it that way, it's sad to think about because I think Bill Simmons is right. You're going to look at this and say the team went all in on multiple different levels, right? They went all in on multiple levels. They had two stars on rookie deals. I guess three when you include Smart, although he's not a star. But you had two stars on rookie deals and then – a very good player, a starting caliber player on a rookie deal. But there are very explainable reasons. And it's unfortunate that circumstance has dictated what happened to the Celtics in this time. But there are explainable reasons as to why the Celtics didn't even make the NBA Finals. And you may not like them. You may think they're excuses, but they are explainable reasons. Year one with Kyrie and Hayward. Hayward gets hurt. He gets hurt four minutes, five minutes into his first game. And he's out the entirety of the season. And now the team has been built one way and now has to play another. They still get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And they push LeBron to Game 7. Well, nobody beats LeBron. Nobody beats LeBron in the Conference Final. And nobody in the East seemingly ever beats LeBron in the Eastern Conference Final. Maybe went to eight straight finals or whatever. I mean, you just don't beat LeBron. So it's entirely explainable. You played LeBron and Hayward wasn't there. That explains your one. We don't have to like it, but that explains year one. Year two, you saw it. Hayward's not the same coming back, and then Kyrie torpedoes the team. Kyrie torpedoes the team. The team is fractured. The team is broken. The team doesn't get along. The team doesn't like each other because of Kyrie. Now, the Celtics win all in around Kyrie. We can get on Danny Ainge for for not doing enough homework on Kyrie or bringing in a, quote, bad guy or whatever. And that's that's another separate discussion. But when you talk about why the Celtics didn't get to a finals in year two, Ky- Kyrie is the answer. Hayward's not the same, but Kyrie torpedoes the locker room. And there's the answer. And then year three, this past year, look, the pandemic happens. And I understand that everybody's faced with adversity and – the Lakers still got to the finals and Miami still got to the finals, but not having home court advantage or not having enough home court advantage, not making teams travel, all of that matters. If the Celtics are playing in Boston 
they very well could could go to the finals. If there's games in Boston, maybe Milwaukee does is the number one seed. I don't know, but I know that this year, while it was fair, while it was justified, while everybody had to deal with the same stuff, I think it mattered to the Celtics. 2020 has been crazy. I'm just going to use that as an excuse to explain away what happened here. Again, we don't have to like it, but they are explainable reasons. So you look at the last three years, Celtics did have a golden opportunity. At one point, LeBron leaves the leaves the East. They had a chance. They couldn't do it. Kyrie's attitude, Kyrie fracturing the locker room, Hayward being injured, Hayward not being himself, and then the pandemic. Those are the reasons. They're not fun reasons, but they're truthful reasons. And, and I don't really think they're excuses. They are truthful reasons. We'll look back and say, damn, I can't believe the Celtics couldn't make something happen there. Oh, yeah, Kyrie did it. Now I understand. Oh, yeah, the pandemic happened. Okay, now I get it. That's how I'm looking at it. It's disappointing. It's frustrating. It's explainable, though. Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Okay, Daily Dose of Doug. So Brady does a podcast with former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Doug is a lot more famous than Brady. Flutie flushed, throws it down. Caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. Doug is a lot smarter than Brady. So much in football is the guys surrounding you. Your success is dependent on the guys on the field and that team. So let's listen to Doug. It's your daily dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, here we go. Daily Dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM. Um, so there we go. You don't need to hear it twice. Um, spoke with Flutie today, this morning. We actually put out our most recent podcast, Getting Ready for the Patriots and the Cardinals game. And I brought to him my idea, my, my question about the Cam COVID effect. I have been saying now for a week, I think there's something to it. Cam goes on the COVID list, and I think, from my estimation, something physical was happening. He's not saying that, but... When he came back, didn't have a lot of energy, really wasn't kind of focused, looked just out of it. And then mentally, maybe the fatigue of it all, but also just not being around the team, not being around the locker room, not being around the guys, not being around the, not being around the staff. Here's what Flutie said. Does he think there's anything to the COVID impact? Well, it breaks up your preparation. It breaks up first season with a new team, learning a new offense, and you've had this week day-in, day-out routine, and all of a sudden it's broken up. You take a two-week separation from it. Now, I'm sure he's watching film at home and getting uh, the the game plan and trying to – it's not the same. It's not the same. I'm I'm really not trying to make excuses for the Celtics. I'm not trying to make excuses for Matt Patricia earlier. I'm not trying to make excuses for Cam. But, again, this feels explainable to me. I feel like there's a COVID gap in Cam Newton's season. Comes out. They don't do too much in week one against Miami, but he plays pretty well. They run the ball a lot, play to his strength, plays well. Seattle, they lose, but he plays well. Now, Kansas City, he's out, doesn't play, comes back. San Francisco doesn't look the same. Denver doesn't look the same. And now he starts to play better again and plays better against Buffalo and plays better against the Jets and plays better against Houston. I think Cam Newton, when not impacted by COVID, has played pretty well. And also, don't underestimate the fact that that when Cam is gone and not around the facility for two weeks, the offense is still evolving. So Cam is still trying to, like Cam in his own mind is trying to get caught up to, here's where I need to be. But the offense is still moving forward, and now the, the, the pylon keeps getting pushed further and further for Cam. He's trying to play even further catch-up. And when he comes back, we talk about it didn't look like he could process things. It looks like he's slow to react because he's trying to, 
you know, he's trying to learn 10 things when he should be learning two. Because just because he was gone, the offense didn't stop moving. And it's not the same when you can't rep it out. So you're going into a game and seeing something for maybe the first time or something that you've really practiced sparingly or maybe not at all. And that is an issue that I can understand for Cam. And that is sympathy that I have for him there. That, I mean, Flutie is a decade-long NFL quarterback. He's telling you that if you take any bit of that routine and break it up, it's going to impact you, especially at a point when the offense is moving forward. And now, I mean, Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, he told us that earlier this week. They're going to have to evolve his role and or Damian Harris's role and have them be more of a presence, I think, in the passing game because you you can't just rely on James White with the way their offense is. So there he's talking about Sony Michelle, but it's just another instance of the offense having to evolve. The offense doesn't stop evolving. The offense doesn't stop growing. So Cam is trying to – so when he comes back, his head is trying to process more things than it can handle. Now he's – okay, my mechanics are here. This guy's there. That read there. You can see how overwhelming it can become. I believe the COVID effect was real on him. And then, as Bob said there, you're also trying to evolve other guys into the offense, of which Cam is a part of that as well, trying to get other guys now involved. Um, All right, let's get to crazy Twitter takes, because here's something I want to react to. We do it every day, crazy Twitter takes. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? Internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. All right, Matt Verderam is the NFL director at fansided.com. He happens to be one of my longest tenured friends as well. We went to college together. We talk all the time. We've hung out at the Super Bowl together. Uh, when I was on another radio station, he came on my show every week for three years. He was going off yesterday talking about the Detroit Lions, says that he is done with the Lions on Thanksgiving. And I saw this take from about a zillion different people on social media. They're tired of watching the Lions. They're tired of watching bad football on Thanksgiving. I'll tell you what I'm not thankful for. That that bullshit Texans-Lions game that I have to sit through and cover on Thursday morning. Who in God's name has the right to put that game on television? Who hurt? Who hurt the NFL? Who did this? I know it's it's like two more things down in our rundown, but I'm doing it right now. Should we cancel the Lions for Thanksgiving? Yes. Okay, I love Matt, but he's so off base on this. Let's let's give this a break here. First off, the Lions are never on Monday night. They're hardly ever on Sunday night either. I do believe that every team deserves some kind of primetime action. As someone who has lived, hey, I grew up a Seattle Seahawks fan, and I've lived on the East Coast since I was seven years old. So when you are a fan of a team and you're not in the market, you're not in the region, and you can't watch that game, every fan, every kid deserves the chance to watch their favorite team at least once a season. So the Lions being on Thanksgiving, they're never on Monday, they're never on Sunday night, and by the way, they don't have a Thursday night game any other time but Thanksgiving. Like It's not like they're getting a Thursday night standalone game at some other point of the year. This was their only Thursday. Every team has to play on Thursday night. This is the Lions' Thursday night game. This is it. This is their one standalone chance. They're not getting another one. They deserve one. Every team is promised at least one standalone primetime game. And it's always every team is guaranteed to play on Thursday night. Lions, this is their only Thursday game. There's not another one here. So 
bag off the Lions a bit, okay? Back off. You cherish these games as a fan because sometimes it's the only chance you get to watch your team. And also, think about Thanksgiving for a second. Thanksgiving, what are you really doing? You're playing outside in normal years. You're playing neighborhood football. You're talking to your family. You're all dressed up. You're eating at weird times. You're you're traveling around. You're not really locked in on football. You appreciate that football is on, but you're not completely locked in on football. So if you're not locked in on football, I don't need to have a 9-1 team versus a 9-1 team because if I had that, I'd be like, great. We got a great game going on, and here I am. I got to make small talk with Grandma. Oh, it's a great oh nine and one versus nine and one. I can't wait to watch every second of it. Oh wait, I can't. We've got to go drive to 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 mom's side of the family, and we got to go drive to dad's side of the family. We got to go to my side of the family. We got to go to my wife's side of the family. Like that. So the Lions are kind of perfect for Thanksgiving. I appreciate that they're on, but I don't have to be fully invested. I'm gonna eat my dinner. I'm gonna miss some of the game because of dinner at two thirty or because I'm preparing the, the meal, or I'm part of the meal preparation process, or I'm playing with the kids. And then I'm going to take a nap because I'm exhausted, because I was up at 7 helping prep, helping cook. I was up at 7 o'clock, and now the tryptophan has kicked in for my early dinner, and I want to sleep through the third quarter. I'm not, I can't do that if it's Mahomes and Brady. I can't do that if it's Lamar and Russell Wilson. The Lions are perfect for Thanksgiving. They deserve their standalone game. They don't get any others. And I don't have to be fully invested. That, that's, that is the best of all worlds. Football's on, but I can kind of check in and out. And the other things in life that pull me in different directions, that it's okay because I'm not missing something else. Okay, The Lions, they're perfect for Thanksgiving. Look, I wish they'd make it easier. I wish they'd play better. I wish that they became an incredibly watchable product on Thanksgiving for their fans. I wish they did. But for me, I'm like, okay, I've watched the Lions. I'm gonna, I'll, t- I'll take a nap. Halftime until seven minutes left in the third quarter. I'll, I'll check back in. Okay, there you go. That's it. That's all I'm doing. It's a Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, I'm going to go straight to closing thoughts because this is one that I'm pretty passionate about. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Let's get right to closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay All right, closing thoughts. This one comes from an article written on WEEI.com. So WEEI in Boston says, maybe the Patriots should just be entertainment this year. And what what the author means by that is, hey, it's not going to lead to a championship. It's not going to lead to a number one draft pick. The season kind of just is. It doesn't need to have a bigger storyline than that. Let's just enjoy football for the last six weeks, last seven weeks, last six games. Here, no, last last six weeks, here is what I say to that. I disagree completely. I don't watch sports for entertainment. And I, I'd be curious on social media, you guys to get in touch with me, at WDEV Radio Brady, how many of you watch sports for pure entertainment? I don't. I watch because I have a vested interest. So, therefore, every Patriots game means something. Okay, 
it's something that is to be dissected. It's something that is to be analyzed in terms of how it fits into a specific box. I watch the Patriots in that way because I like the Patriots and I want to see them win the Super Bowl. So either they're playing games that help them get to the Super Bowl now, or I'm watching games and watching storylines and watching the draft and and, and looking at, at mini camp battles and roster battles, etc. I'm watching those things, trying to figure out how it all connects to where the Patriots can play in the Super Bowl another, you know, as soon as possible. I'm either watching because they're getting to the Super Bowl now, or I'm watching because I want to see them get to the Super Bowl later and I want to know exactly what's going on in that process. It's the same thing with the Red Sox, same thing with the Celtics, same thing with the Bruins. Okay, when I go to a movie, that's entertainment. I haven't invested anything in it other than the money. Other than the money and my two hours of time, I haven't invested anything in that movie. It's relatively easy to walk away from after. But when I watch sports, I've researched it. I've listened to radio shows constantly. I've listened to podcasts, read articles, subscribed to things to learn more. I've, I've gone through countless hours of scrolling on social media. I've invested money and time into things like memorabilia and gear and T-shirts and tickets and tailgate equipment and a new grill for the backyard. I'm not watching it so much for entertainment. I've invested a lot when I watch sports. So it's not just entertainment to me. It's an investment, and I want a return on my investment in some way. Either you're going to win now or we're going to figure out how you're going to win later. But we're going to watch it under that lens. And I'm, I, I don't know that it's easy. I, I don't know anybody who watches sports solely for the entertainment. Like, is it fun to not know what's going on? Because that's like what would be entertaining, I guess. Like, if you truly have no idea what's going on and you just kind of watch to watch, is it fun being out of the loop? I wouldn't think that that's very fun. It's not fun for me to turn on CBS or turn on uh, uh, Fox or turn on ABC and watch a show that I've never seen before. That's not fun to me. That's not entertainment. I have no idea what's going on. But it's fun for me to get invested in a series and watch it from start to finish because now I put time into it. I put energy into it. I don't know how many people can truly watch sports and say it's just for entertainment. For me, better or worse, sports is a pride thing. Pride in a city, pride in a community, pride in a region, pride in a program. It just matters more. When I go to a concert, when I go to a movie, it's easy to walk away from. When I go to sporting events, when I talk about sports, when I watch sports, it's not easy to walk away from. It, it makes me happy for a week or it makes me upset for a week. That's how it is to me. And there's probably something a little wrong with me that that's the case, but I bet a lot of you are like that. Okay, I can watch a TV show with no emotional attachment, but it's still not fun for me. But I can't watch sports without emotional attachment. If I don't have a specific team rooting interest, then we create the rooting interest to give us that emotional attachment. Okay, I don't care about these teams, but I care about that player. I'm going to root for them. I'm going to root for him. I'm going to root for her. I don't care about these teams, so I'm going to gamble on the game. I don't care about these teams, but I'm playing fantasy football. We're creating the interest. We're creating the emotional attachment. It's not just entertainment to me. It's an emotional attachment. That's what we're looking for in sports, and that's what we get in sports that we don't get other places. I don't get an emotional attachment like that from too many concerts, from too many movies, from too many beer festivals. Like That doesn't cause me to have an emotional attachment in the way that sports does. 
Or, you know, we watch sports for the love of country, right? Every four years, I'll watch track and field or swimming or something I never watch because I want to see if America wins. I want to see if America can win a gold medal. It's always about an emotional attachment. So when the WEEI author says, hey, just watch the Patriots for the rest of the year, just for the sake of entertainment. It doesn't mean it doesn't have to mean something. Well, yes, it does. It does have to mean something. It means we're winning this year or we're trying to learn all that we can so we can win next year because my fandom is an investment of my time and of my energy and of my money, and I want to return on that investment. And if it's not going to be now, then it better be later. And I'm going to make sure I'm prepared for the later by knowing everything that's going on. That's how I watch sports. I'll be curious, you guys on social media, at WDEV Radio Brady, can you watch sports just purely for the entertainment, or is there always an emotional attachment? For me, there's always an emotional attachment. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All brought to you by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. Thanks to Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus for joining us. Patriots, Cardinals coming up 10 a.m. with the pregame show on Sunday. Full show podcast, Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson is coming up next. And uh, then we got ESPN Radio. Have a great weekend, everybody.